When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Back in the saddle again. We're back in the saddle again. Okay, Gene Autry, what's that all about? Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with 10 months of terrible commercials. Ever think of hiring a copywriter? That's pretty good. Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyways, too expensive. Check out our new press release. This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, J-Lo. What do you think? Mm, maybe you should hire a copywriter. Cool that they're leading the sales race, though. That's good. Yeah, it's actually more than good. Because they were so dominant last year, we've earned more than our fair share of new Nissans. We have 40 Altimas available for March and 120 Rogues. Check out the huge selection of Nissans at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, 
You'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zep. They ship today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Gelfand joining us. Charlie Barron's just a couple of minutes from now, the Midwest Survival Guide, how we talk, love, work, drink, and eat everything with ranch. We're going to find out what the hell that's all about. So, Dougie, what's that face? I got a fun story to I share knew with it. you. It's I can about tell somebody that Andy. you know. So I had right, a, I'm ready. Sarah and I like to have dinner parties, and we had one last Saturday. And we had four different couples there. They were all friends of ours. The guys were all musicians, but nobody had ever met each other. Oh, okay. And Peter Bourne and his wife, who was his wife's fabulous. I'd really never met her before. Mm-hmm. She just he showed up. Um, buddy of mine from high school, uh, actually Sarah's boyfriend from high school, and my old stepbrother, who's been on the show, started Absolutely. Soul Asylum. But I Absolutely. didn't tell anybody who he was and what band he was in. So it was oh, okay. kind of funny. All of a sudden, the conversation started rolling. I think Peter Bourne's jaw was about to hit the floor when Dan said, yeah, it was kind of cool opening for Dylan. Yeah, (laughs) I would imagine opening for Dylan's pretty cool. I I would have to agree. So in the name-dropping contest, Peter Bourne came in a distant second. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would imagine so. We had a really good time. It's It's really, we enjoy doing that, and we'll have you and Catherine over and put one together sometime. Don't worry about our feelings. I'm uh, sure I it was rarely lost in the do, mail. Because I know that they're always black and blue. And My feelings? Yes. Can't be helped. I'm in radio. You're so sensitive. That's all I have to say. I'm in radio. You get the piss beat out of you mentally on a daily basis. <laughs> it all works out in you the end. You try selling cars. <laughs> oh, I would imagine. Yeah, I suppose you're probably... No, I'd be, I'd be that guy from used cars. Get in the goddamn yeah. car. <laughs> Shut up. Get in the car. Shut up and get in the car. <laughs> we have our guest on the phone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Charlie Barons. How you doing, Charlie? Charlie. Hello, who is yes. it? Well, there you are. How you doing, Charlie? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Everything's going swimmingly well, as a matter of fact. The Midwest Survival Guide, how we talk, love, work, drink, and eat everything with ranch. As one of 12 children growing up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin... Charlie's distinctive Wisconsin accent and church-worthy duck camo is only the start of the hilarious flair he'd bring to an interview. We're going to find out right now, Charlie, because, you know, first of all, we got to get past that whole Packer-Viking thing, and then we can move on, Charlie. Yeah, is this an issue we're going to have to uh, really hash out here, or are you already <laughs> over it, or how do you want to go about it? Nah, first of all, I'm sorry uh, for historically for your losses. Uh, and now I'll wait for you to apologize for uh, beating us uh, a couple, two, three weeks ago. So. Okay, well, I, when I didn't want to beat you because I wanted a higher draft pick because we're not going to make the playoffs anyway. Yeah, let's beat let's beat Green Bay in a year we don't need to beat Green Bay. <laughs> a blind pig finds a chestnut <laughs> yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, Charlie, i got to be honest with you. I've always admired the uh, Green Bay Packers. They're one hell of an organization. And, you know, look, I... I since I'm 15, I've been a Viking fan, but I've always, uh, I never had that problem with the Bears, the the Packers, the Lions. Well, I don't know anything about the Lions anyway. They've been horrible forever, but yeah, I, it, it's been a good time. Plus the fact, I mean, Minneapolis-St. Paul is basically just a suburb of Wisconsin anyway. You know, that's how I've always thought of it. I'm glad you brought that up, too. Yeah. 
You know, there's a lot of people that, that uh, you know, just, it's a hop, skip over the deal and an easy commute from Eau Claire, Hudson, you know, Menominee. So, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of how I, uh, I'm surprised you said it that way, but I'm, I'm happy you did. No, I, I, that's always the way I've looked at it. I should tell you up front, Charlie, that, that it's going to be interesting talking to you because I was born in Long Prairie, Minnesota. As a matter of fact, I got a little little piece of, uh, uh, it's not really news, it's a fact, though, that I found, I, I just found out a few years ago about this, that Tom Brady's mother and my mother were born in the same town in Minnesota, a town that only had 200 people in it. So that that's pretty amazing when Brady's mother and my mother were born in the same town, in a town of 200 people, and one of us became uh, famous. But Tom's mom can roll to her left. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. My mother can roll out to the left. That's exactly right. But, I mean, Charlie, what you're talking about, the Midwest Survival Guide, I grew up in the inner city in Minneapolis, and most Minnesotans think I'm from New York, which I don't know. Why. Do you, that's you, just because you're hostile, Tom. Well, the Mike's that got a good be. I am a hostile person. That's true. Now, so, me, of course, they always accuse me of being from New York, but that's just because, you know, I'm a Jew, right? That's because you're a Jew. A Northeasterner? Right. I mean, <laughs> you're a Northeasterner. There's, there's a broad right. part of the population that believes that anyone who's Jewish was born in New York. <laughs> that's pretty much true, isn't it? <laughs> you weren't? You weren't? What the hell? Uh, Charlie, one other thing before we move on, because I want to talk you, a lot you got about that. Big city going well, go ahead, sir. Whoops, he didn't go What's ahead. That? No, I said go ahead, sir. I, I, I can jump in later. That's not a problem. I don't have any problem with that at all. Oh no, sir. You know, I I think I got a a, a bad connection because I uh, I didn't hear it until I started talking. Then I realized you were halfway through a sentence. So you must have you must have gone blank. So I'll apologize about four different times during the course of this interview for interrupting you and. In traditional Midwest style. Uh, but now, after all that, I forgot what in the heck I was going to say. So, you know, you might as well just continue on what you were saying. And once again, I'll apologize one last time. For well, that. the problem, Charlie, is I just had COVID until about two weeks ago. So I have COVID brain, which means if I don't say it right now, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> so you know, I, I never knew that was going to happen, Charlie. I did get COVID. And I got rather ill. But... Even when you recover, you get COVID brain. You can't remember anything. It's really weird. I've heard about it. Yeah, I've heard. I don't think I've had it, uh, uh, COVID, although you, you never exactly know until you get one of those antibody uh, tests true. or whatever. Right, right. Uh, but, uh, but I do feel like I've had, uh, you know, a cloudy brain. I'm not sure if that's from a potential COVID exposure or just from... Uh, you know, a dedication to Brandy, but uh, well, one of the two. Uh, but I get what you're saying. I, I felt a little bit uh, cloudy in the in the head myself. Uh, but that that uh, that's been going on for a while. So we're on the same wavelength with your COVID brain and just my normal brain. Now, Charlie, one more thing, and then I'm going to shut up. But I've always liked this. I used to fly into uh, Milwaukee from Minneapolis once in a while to do voiceovers for Miller Beer. Uh, Miller Select and all these other ones. So I spent a lot of time in Milwaukee, which, by the way, I really like the town of Milwaukee. And at the time, and I don't know if it's still around, uh, but they have a building, two buildings kind of real close together. might even be next door to one another, but I know they're in the same area. They have the Milwaukee Arts 
Center, and then they have Arts Performing Center. Guess what Arts Performing Center is? <laughs> Charlie, you know, don't yeah. you? Yeah. What is it, Charlie? Uh, I, I've heard, I've heard, I've read in the classifieds about that. Yeah, Arts Performing Center, uh, that, for those who don't know, that's an exotic uh, uh, dancer's ball <laughs> there. And I uh, compete with with Northern Exposure, and uh, I did, a, I'll be honest with you, I did a little stint there uh, back in the, uh, back in the mid-knots, I think that's what you call the 2000s. Uh, my stripper name was actually Ratchet Strap, you know, and uh, they, you know, they Very attractive. Me. Yeah, yeah. They, they slapped me a little and say, that's not going anywhere. So, you know, uh, we all decided something. And, uh. I like that it, really Charlie. got me through journalism school right there. The what tip, I tell you, you know. the Performing Arts Center and Arts Performing Center right next to one another. I absolutely, Charlie, that's not, now that's a great sense of Wisconsin humor is what that is right there. Oh, thank you. Well, I was being dead serious, but I appreciate that. Hey, by the way, you were doing voiceover for Miller. Uh, maybe I, I recognize the ad. Do you still remember what it was? Oh, yeah, it was Miller Select. It was a brand they had out for quite some time. I've done so many. I've done, God, I've done Paps Blue Ribbon and Old Style. And, I mean, I've done every, I've pretty much promoted every beer ever sold. So I spent a little time. It was wonderful. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I from, yeah. until from, cool. from 1970. Well, let's say 1980 till about nine, uh, till about 2010. Uh, I flew all over the country to do voiceover because back then you had to fly out because there wasn't a lot of digital and all that. But toward the end, it was it worked out. But it was a great way to make a living. But it, it got what it did for me, Charlie, is it allowed me to go to places like Milwaukee and spend some time. And I ended up becoming a big fan of Milwaukee. I love Milwaukee. Now, did you get over to Art Performing Center or just the Performing <laughs> I, Arts Center? I, I did not get to either the Performing Arts Center or Arts Performing Center. I never got to either one of them, damn it. The Miss the Shoe Show, where the girls <laughs> yeah. only wear shoes. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? So, what, Charlie, what made you write the book, The Midwest Survival Guide? What, what's, what's it all about? Well, so I... I started doing the Man's Walk Minute. Um, I was a news guy before that. Then I started, you know, doubling down on everything that people said I was doing wrong in news and started this Man's Walk Minute, which was uh, Midwest news, basically. And over time, I had a bunch of fans of that show say, hey, I'm coming to the Midwest for college, or, uh, you know, I got grandkids in the Midwest and we're visiting for the winter. We don't know what to do, or... I've, I just hit my first uh, deer. Uh, am I supposed to leave it on the side of the road? And people would send these messages, and I would send responses to them. And then over time, I started saving some of these responses because I thought they were funny. And as time went on, I was like, well, this could, this could be a book because a lot of people don't know how to survive the Midwest. And even if you're from the Midwest, you know, there's, Tying a fishing knot, not everyone knows. Some people know Minneapolis well, right, or Wisconsin well, or the UP, but they don't know uh, Cincinnati. And if you go to Cincinnati and you don't know Cincinnati, someone's going to offer you a three-way, and you're going to take it the wrong way, and you know, you're know you going to end up uh, 
ruining a marriage. You know, so you know you gotta you gotta really uh, know that that's chilly and not uh, fornication. So uh, <laughs> these are the things that you know we just compiled them into a book and uh, and wrapped it up. And it's uh, <laughs> it took a while, but I think it's a fun uh, thing, and it's nice and thick, so it can go on the coffee table. Or it can prop up the coffee table, however you want to do it, and no judgment. I love that, the fact that you you talked about the dish. One time I was in a deli. And it was in the Midwest, actually, and there was a very large African-American man in there, and he's looking at the menu, and he's sitting like ten, five feet from me, looking at the menu, goes, man, what the hell is this? And his buddy goes, what are you talking about? He goes, man, I ain't, I ain't eating anything named a Kentucky Hot Brown. <laughs> I will never forget that as long as I live. You wasn't going to eat the Kentucky hot brown, baby, which I understand completely. But yeah, I, you know, that that is one I would pass on, too. Just, <laughs> and if you don't know, then you don't know, you know. And, and the funny thing about the three-way thing is it still it still could mean anything when you realize it's smothered, covered, or chunked. Mm. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> I love that. I absolutely there, there, love that. There, there's, I've been to Cincinnati. I not go into that <laughs> kind of specific, but that, that's good. It is <laughs> i got to do an augmented section of that where I dive a little deeper. Uh, no, oh, I love this, by the way. I've included some segment ideas, not to mention the book would make an excellent holiday gift recommendation. <laughs> I love that, Charlie. Everyone knows the Southern hospitality and coastal elitism stereotypes. The Midwest Survival Guide is a form of Southern hospitality, coastal elitism. We're just talking about the Midwest, giving the flyover states their due. So how do we become the perfect Midwesterner, Charlie? Is, is there a such thing as a perfect Midwesterner? Well, let me just say perfection comes in all shapes and sizes and imperfections in the Midwest. True. And it all starts, I think, with the whole Midwest nice thing, you know, kind of a be nice first, ask questions later kind of deal. But uh, if you're just moving here, you know, you might not see the perfect Midwesterner as the perfect Midwesterner. You may see them as a trespasser because they're on your roof. And uh, they're opening up your second floor window, but you might think they're breaking in or something, but really they're just cleaning the gutters, and they happen to have an extra zucchini in their garden, and they're offering that to you. But so you don't know that uh, coming in here. You know, you could could end up uh, calling the police on someone who's just, you know, trying to be nice and neighborly. So, uh, but that's where I think that's, yeah, that's it, just being neighborly, you know. That's a wonderful idea. There's no question. All you do, Charlie, is give, give, give. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really it. And uh, but the other thing, you know, that there are a few things like you bring up this this perfect Midwesterner. Uh, you got to perfect the Midwest goodbye. Uh, you know, which that that's pretty much a twelve step deal mm-hmm. right there. And it starts with slapping your knee and saying "Welp," I suppose. And uh, <laughs> yes. and then. It, Yep, you bet there. And then you're going to be offered the tour. You know, you got to go out to the garage, look at Larry's snowblower, even though it's July. They're like, why are we looking at the snowblower? Um, you know, and if you don't know how to do a Midwest goodbye, you might just think people are uh, never leaving your house or you can never get out of this party. So without those steps, you may 
you should just bring a sleeping bag because you're not leaving. So, you know, it's a lot of things like that that, that you really got to get into. There's also a section uh, of the book, which I think is kind of cool. It's in the middle. It's the Midwest Gallery. And we got artists from all around the Midwest. You know, I'm like one guy with one perspective. But we got artists from all around the Midwest. And they added and contributed to that. Um, and so that was cool. And we also have a recipe section. And in Minnesota, Chef Yavang, uh, he contributed a recipe. Uh, Leroy Butler put a recipe in there. We've got uh, a bunch of stuff. So it's not, you know, I tried to make it not just my perspective. Uh, since we were calling it the Midwest Survival Guide, I really tried to broaden it, um, too, to include a bunch of other folks with other, uh, you know, they, that, that can add different elements of the Midwest culture. So. Charlie, do you have a thing, and I want to bring that, because Minnesota definitely has this thing, <clears throat> and I have people mention this to me all the time. My family, when we go on vacation, we tend to go to the east coast of Florida around, you know, West Palm Beach. That's where we go. Uh, and whenever I bring that up to a Minnesotan, they go, what? And I go, yeah. They say, you go to Florida, but you go to the east coast of Florida? I said, yeah, why? And they said, oh, there's way too many New Yorkers over there for me. Well, I mean, they're not wrong. Why, but still, you're that scared off by well, New York. because 95% of them are in Naples. Yeah. That's where all Minnesotans oh, go. Oh, absolutely. They all like go to Naples. You're, Southern you're right. Hennepin County. Yeah, for some reason. It kind of, yeah. So, but they get very upset with me that I wouldn't go there, that I decided to go to the East Coast. But I lived in New York. I lived in Chicago. I lived a lot of different places like this. Uh, and plus, I grew up in the inner city, which is much more urban than most of the Midwest. You know? And you get to hang out with your buddy, the former president. Former president. Mm-hmm. Louie Nanny, of course, is over there. You got Glenn Mason's over there. All the decent people <laughs> but who aren't from here originally. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Like, everybody that's over there w- w- with us, they're not from here. I'm the, we're the only ones that are originally from Minnesota over there. Hmm. It's hilarious. I love that. But, yeah, I understand exactly yeah. what you're saying, Charlie. Yeah, you know- yeah, well, we've got those snowbirds, and actually, uh, that that works out well for, um, you know, for I mean, this book works out well for them because how do you understand these people who kind of been invaded your state a little bit? Like, I'm doing uh, a show, a stand-up show in Naples, and we started off doing one, and now we're doing like five of them there because basically it's just you know Midwest South. Oh you know, God, yes, absolutely. Southern point there, but also, yeah. Arizona, too. And that's kind of the unique thing about the Midwest is people don't just uh, leave and forget about it. They set up they set up these consulates, basically, which, which is usually a bar. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it'll either be a Packers bar or a Vikings bar or whatever, and, or uh, Badgers or Gophers, whatever it is. And then that's just where they meet every weekend to discuss uh, the finer Midwest thing. So it's, it's kind of unique that... Um, you know, I don't, like, in the Midwest, I'm not seeing a bunch of, like, giant bars or anything like that, you know. But uh, there's probably right. not a lot of brain drain from New York to the Midwest. But, you know, it, it's just nice that people have so much pride in where they're from that wherever they go, they want to, you know, keep those roots. Yeah, that and see, that makes total sense. I, 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 I be honest with you, I'm trying to think. I, I, I guess I've been to Houston. I'm not a big fan of Houston, Texas. It's just a little too jammed in together and too, I don't know. It's, it just felt kind of weird. Most places I've been, I've, I've actually liked most places I've visited in America. You know? I mean, oh, I, yeah. 
I got lucky no, and, once. And I don't. I don't think. Sorry, I, I no, interrupted no. you. No, 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 no. Go ahead, Charlie. Not a problem. Oh, okay. Well, no, I, I, I think that people do like the other places. Like, they do like Arizona. Or they like wherever they're going. But, you know, I, I, so I don't think it's a dislike of those places, but it's just more of like, you know, you got to create this, this bastion of, of roots or whatever, and uh, usually it's in the form of, of a bar or something, which is kind of funny that that's the way they uh, choose to uh, to bring everybody together. But, you know, that's what bars are good Nah, it absolutely is true. The book is called The Midwest Survival Guide, How We Talk, Love, Work, Drink, and Eat, Everything with Ranch. Charlie Barron's, it's B-E-R-E-N-S. Charlie, thanks for the uh, thanks for the call today. And stay in touch. I want to know how your book is doing. you got to come back on, okay? Yeah, that would be awesome. I really appreciate you uh, having me on, and I, I'm going to send you some rhubarb uh, for my garden. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a good crop this year. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, by the way, you can just go to Amazon for the book, too. Just go to Amazon.com, and uh, Charlie's, Charlie Barron's book, The Midwest Survival Guide, will be right there for you to pick up. Not a problem. Thanks, Charlie. All right. Hey, watch out for deer. Thanks. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I will do it. Uh, Charlie. Charlie seemed like a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did. Uh, longer pleasant. time delay than talking to the astronauts circling the moon. It was a big time delay. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, that's why I don't like phones. Yeah, you gotta, they couldn't get them big, to Skype, huh? Apparently deal. not. Well, no, this was a, well, this was the Skype number. Oh, okay. Yeah, but you know, we have so many options that aren't phones, and yet sometimes phone apparently is the only thing that works. I don't know why. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about that. About half my friends are not from here. I didn't even realize that. I get technically uh, mom's not even from here. No, she she was born in Wyoming, mm-hmm. was a Cheyenne, Wyoming. Yes, yeah, she was. She was indeed. There's no question about well, it. Oh, she grew up here since the age of like three. So. Seven. She was seven. Seven. Think, well, yeah. whatever. Still, I still want to know because Catherine, when she was a teenage girl, like 16 years old, she used to work at the Kentucky Fried Chicken on Highway 55 in Rhode Island, right there. Okay. Yep. Right. You know where that is, right yep. there. I had to have gone in there when she worked there because I would have been 24 years old, and I used to go in at KFC all the time. So I, I bet you I met her before. Do you Isn't think? that weird? <clears throat> I was in there all the time, yeah. so she had to be working there when I, I had to, when I well, went. Well, you're there. probably smart at 24 not to be scoping out 16 year olds. Well, that's not... true. Yeah, it's like sometimes Melissa's like, I wish we had met earlier. And, but it's like, how much earlier, though? Because we're five years apart. Yeah. If we met when I was 20, you would have been 15. That's that not, would have been. That's yeah. not okay. That's jail time. Yeah, exactly. So it is interesting how, uh, you know, with the age difference, you got to, like, hit the sweet spot of early but not too early. Yeah, true. we got to take a break. I know. And we'll be right back. Mr. Mike Gelfand, we're looking. we're going to lean on you for about 20 minutes. What do you think of that? Uh, you know, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> we'll be right back. Lean on me. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25,000-square-foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Six blocks west of 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit BloomingtonBoatShow.com. 
Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like suburban manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy. And that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build my pillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. Back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, Doug was just talking, Mike, uh, about a month ago. I was invited to go to dinner with uh, Meat Sauce, and his dad was there. His dad's a great guy. Mark Rosen was there, Scott Studwell and I, and we went out and had dinner together. And Herbie. Don't forget him. No, Herbeck wasn't at that one. Oh, I want him to come to the next one. Sorry. Yeah, uh-huh. Herbeck didn't make it to that one. He's coming to the next one, but... I was just telling everybody, and I mentioned this on the on the air to him the other day when Scott was on talking about his new book, which you can get, by the way, everywhere. But uh, at the end of the night, you know, Scott is just, he and I have become really good friends. And remember, he, you remember back in the day, Mr. Galfan, he hated my guts back in the old days. Remember that? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he of course, he wasn't in, in an exclusive club in that regard. But no, yeah. still wouldn't be. No, I... Oh, no, I'm just kidding, Tom. Yeah, okay, Mike, whatever. But I was just telling... I'm doing Rickles now in my old age. God, I love my I love Rickles so much. But uh, so I was just telling Andy and Dougie that... Uh, so at the end of the night, I was talking to Scott. We're waiting for our cars to be pulled up. I said, okay, man, well, here's my car. I turned to him, and we gave each other a big hug. I hugged mm-hmm. Scott Studwell and realized he could snap me like a twig. <laughs> Holy Christ, is he put together. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. We have to be very careful not to break things as we go through this fragile earth. Yes, like my arms us, and legs. Us uh, giant men. We giant men. So, Mr. Galfan, what are you up to? Well, I'll tell you, I've been uh, kind of living in a parallel universe lately. Uh-oh. Is that good? Um no, you know, it's it's not good, it's not bad, but uh it d- does provide provide some uh some relief. Um you know, like you, I had a few uh I had a few health scares in the last uh 3 months or so. Oh, sure. So I'm I'm cool now. I'm I'm getting much better, but um the other night I uh I just uh had a, a little bit of anxiety and uh so I I, uh, I took a little a little benzo action, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I'm not the, the the benzo the benzo category is not my favorite, 
Um, yeah. You know, give me, given my choice, I'd rather just take an antidepressant or maybe some Dilaudid. But um, <laughs> benzos are okay. But the problem is I get up the next day and uh, I, I roll over in bed. I turn on my device to, to read. the. I hadn't even paid attention to the news in recent days. And uh, but I had uh, I had a little uh, a little bit of uh, maybe I should say a little more uh, double vision than I usually have. Oh God, that's not good. And so I'm I'm reading the headlines and things, and I'm it actually was kind of comforting uh, in in some ways. Like I shouldn't have laughed, but I did laugh when I when I read that uh, there are uh, deadly tomatoes in Kentucky. I thought, well, this you know. <laughs> I, I thought this kind of like confirmed my my feeling that vegetables, and I realized the tomatoes fruit, but mm-hmm. it did confirm my feeling that vegetables can be can be kind of dangerous, you know. Sure. Then, then I flip down the screen and uh, I read that that Trump was responsible for the resurrection. Oh, I didn't realize. Now that. I, yeah, I, I I knew that he. Uh, I knew that he was a very devout man, of course, but uh, this this shocked me a little bit, and that kind of left me feeling ambivalent toward him, as you can well imagine. Yeah, I could see that. So uh, then I start. I kind of got into the. Uh, I had I hadn't really read much about the uh, the tragedy of the of the fox Christmas tree. Oh yeah, the guy started it on fire for some yeah, he reason. He burned it down. Yeah. Oh, God. Which, which supposedly is proof that uh, democracy has come to an end, and that, of course, that revived the old, you know, the old war on Christmas thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but then I, I saw, so I, I, I saw the video of it. That's not a Christmas tree. Oh, it's not. I haven't seen the video. It's not a Christmas tree. It's not a Christmas tree. It's some metal scaffolding that they taped or pasted or somehow entwined some pine needles on. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, thing was on fire, though. Well, yeah, the, the leaves, I guess, were on fire, yeah. Well, I think also the guy, uh, the guy uh, probably added some uh, combustible stuff in sure. there, like newspapers and maybe, you know, maybe some kerosene or something. A little accelerant? But, what's that? A little accelerant? Yeah, accelerant's right, the, the whole thing. But I'm thinking about this, like, well, you know, I never thought of Fox News as being uh, especially attuned to the disabled, but there it was, you know. They had they had a Christmas tree, uh, which was actually a prosthetic Christmas tree. Yeah, I, see. I thought that, that was pretty good of them, I, I thought. I don't think do. we have ever had a, well, wait, no, we had a real Christmas tree one year, right? When I threw it out the front yeah, door. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> The art, the artificial has definitely replaced the real. I, I, why did you throw a Christmas tree out the front door? I just <laughs> you never to heard this. Galfan, you've heard the story. Oh yes, but I like to hear it again. <clears throat> okay, so Catherine and I decide. Well, our children are young. I think Andy was seven and Alex was five. Let's go out into the forest and cut our own Christmas tree down. And there was a ton of snow, and we're out there, and the kids were. I have a little cocoa with us. So Catherine does drink heavily from time to time. Yeah, apparently. Well, she married me. Oh, who wouldn't? <laughs> oh, I don't know that you have to jump in. You well, only I can say that. Only I can say that about me. <laughs> but in any case, so we go out there, and this this tree's perfect size, but it's snow-covered, and it looks really beautiful with the snow covering and blah, blah, blah. So we cut it down, and we strapped her to the roof of the car, got it home, 
put it in a corner, let it thaw, you know, cleared all the snow off it outside, and then let it thaw out so that the, the branches would drop and all the rest of it. And as we went to put it in the Christmas tree stand, we noticed there was a hard left turn halfway up the uh, trunk, mm-hmm. and then a hard north turn after about a foot. So it'd go up about three feet, take a hard left for a foot, and then go up about another three, four feet. Got a little scoliosis. Yeah, yeah it's got exactly. some scoliosis. So we put it in the stand, and it tipped over. And I kept adjusting the stand, and it kept tipping over. Yeah, there's over. nothing you can do with that Okay. Point. So we wired it to the wall. We put a cable around the tree and put it in the wall, and it kept tearing the little hook out of the wall. I'm on the phone one day with Jeff Passolt, and I'm talking to him, and he said, here's all I heard. God damn it! And then I heard this rustling. I heard you open the front door, and I heard the rustling go out the door. I just grabbed the tree finally after it had fallen down yet again another three times, threw it out the front door, eventually took it and put it behind the, the detached garage, and the ornaments, not the ornaments, but the lights are still there behind the garage. <laughs> like 20, what, 30 years later. This is eerily similar to a, something my grandfather did when I was, really? I didn't remember it. I was a year oh. and a half or two years old. Christmas tree. I'm the first grandchild. We're living with my grandparents at the time because my dad's working on his PhD and he's broke. And my grandmother starts apparently grinding on my grandfather. Oh, Ward, the tree isn't safe. It's going to fall on oh, Douglas and Bob. Oh, that he kind had of grinding. I was like, right? uh... Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on a minute. Day. It's my grandparents, for Christ's sake, you pervert. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so my Andy. grandfather had had a few, so he goes down to the basement, gets some 16-penny common nails, and nails oh. the tree to the floor and goes, there, that'll hold the effort. There yeah. you go. And that that's, tree is there to this it's day. still there, yep. Benvenue Street in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. It's all true. There's no <laughs> so funny. This was a very uh, dangerous uh, season because you had uh, Christmas uh, with Christmas uh, on the horizon. You had uh, people were putting up Christmas trees. And then, of course, you had uh, people of the Jewish faith who were lighting menorahs. Now, this is worse than it sounds because there were alerts. There were stories about about the very flammable trees mm-hmm. that are inflammable trees. I'm not sure. They sound like opposites, but apparently they're the same word. Okay. So right there I'm confused. Yeah, but it is true. Trees were very dry this year yeah. for whatever yep. reason. And and so this posed a trem- I don't know how much damage was done, but this posed a, a real crisis when you had uh, people who had uh, intermarried, as we like to say. Intermarried, sure. You know, you you got a Christian, you got a Jew, so you got you got yourself a, a, a menorah and you got yourself a Christmas tree. Now, you never want the two to be very close together for obvious reasons. And if you know anything about menorahs, well, you, of course you do, Tom. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, and the uh, so you got you know you got you got like seven or eight candles there burning. And, seven or eight. <laughs> Depending. You're well, supposed to know the, the day, number, Mike. You know. <laughs> well, no, you got the Shamus, and then you got the seven days. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's eight. Still think uh, it's eight. Anyway, I, th- I think I came somewhere close to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, every year someone will come up to me and say, hey, Happy New Year, and I'd say, that's not till January 1st. And they'd say, no, it's Rosh Hashanah. I'd say, oh, okay, fine, good. Um... And uh, I'm I'm not devout. I'm I'm a non-believer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, this was very dangerous. In, in they, if you go to a if you go to any kind of store that sells uh, that sells uh, like you know holiday candles, 
that kind of thing. You can you can buy these multicolored candles for your menorah, but they never fit. Yeah, right, right. So inevitably what happens is they fall over and light something in your house on fire. <laughs> yep. It's not what you're and, looking for. And uh, this year, that I'm, I'm, I don't know how many Christmas trees got lit on fire by the menorah, but in a sense it's kind of a metaphor, isn't it? In a way. In a way it is. Yeah. Especially after your boy there, that did you see the uh, the guy, the nice Jewish boy that was complaining about the the wreaths on the tombstones? Mm-hmm. You see, see that story? No. Uh, out east, I can't remember where. I think it was in Pennsylvania. I'm not sure, but, but people showed up with with wreaths, and they put a wreath on every tombstone in an entire huge cemetery. And this your cousin, nice Jewish boy said that was way out of line to be putting a wreath on someone's tombstone without asking their permission. We don't mm-hmm. need, and I quote, your Christian gang symbol. Oh, he boy. called a Christmas wreath a Christian gang symbol. Technically, it's a <laughs> Norse pagan game, gang symbol. Yeah, that's so technically. Yeah. Joke's yeah. on you. <laughs> well, it is a little insensitive, you know. Why? Why? Yeah. Well, for the same reason that it's a little insensitive when uh, the Mormons um, declare dead Jews to be born again so that they can go to heaven. Yeah. That's not considered to be a favor, a nice gesture by by the people of the Jewish faith. But I have a question for you. When I croak, Mm -hmm. if you want to come and put a menorah menorah on my tombstone, I'd be happy about that. But I'm not a Jew. Well, of course. I don't get it. Well, I, uh, yeah, no, it's but but that's you. But then the the people who are still living in that family would probably take offense. Oh, I don't. Think I mean, so. I don't know that they'd get all worked up about it, but it would be something they would rather you not do. How about if somebody, when I die, put a Kinky Friedman album on my tombstone? <laughs> Well, that's everyone should have that. Everybody should have. Yeah, but only four percent of the population would get it. That is very true. <laughs> it may be point. The Texas well, you can, you know what you Who do? the hell is this? <laughs> but but you could have a little audio thing there too. If people push a button, and next thing you know, Kinky Friedman is singing Baruka Tadonoi. Mm-hmm. What you doing in here, boy? Exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite songs of all time. And by the way, when I do get buried someday, if I ever do get buried or I put in a pot or something. But if I do get buried, I do want to put a bell on the tombstone with a wire that goes down into the grave so it looks like I'm going to ring the bell if I wake up. Well, and just have it uh, connected to, like, an automatic timer. Yeah, exactly. So it every, pulls itself. Every, like, three years it rings once. <laughs> I would like that. It's like, oh, shit. I don't know the answer to this. Is Kinky still with us? I hope that he uh, is. He was last year. He's yeah, he's be, around. What, 75, I would think. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, probably somewhere in there. Yeah, seventy-seven. I, I don't think he's running for office this year, though. No, he used to run for office quite often. Yeah, he's uh, seventy-seven years old, and he's still around. Have you ever got together? Oh, who's that crackpot from Maine? Vermin Supreme. Yes, Vermin, oh, the, Vermin the, Supreme. The boot they on his should head run guy? together. Yeah, he's the ru- okay. rubber boot on his head. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now we're talking, Mike. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's just I'm I'm I feel fortunate. You know, I grew up Roman Catholic, which is a form of Christianity, which most Christians don't like Catholics, which is kind of weird, but, you know. That is true. Um, no, only American Christians don't. <laughs> yeah, I think it is only American Christians. But, you know, when I was a little boy, I would go, if you went west of Penn Avenue, you're going to see a lot of menorahs. So menorahs were always either, they were kind of a lead into Christmas because Hanukkah comes before Christmas. 
And I said, <clears throat> so therefore, I always loved the menorah. I, 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 you know, when I used to see it, and it, it's on the other side of Highway 100 now. It used to be on the uh, west side, uh, but now it's on the east side of, uh, of Highway 100 going south from, from Minnetonka Boulevard. But every year when they put that up, I loved it. It was like, oh, my God, that the menorah is up. Jewish kids in my yeah. neighborhood were mean because they taunt us. They taunted we you? We get presents for eight days. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, like, I, oh, yeah. hate you. Every <laughs> Jewish kid is like, oh, you get presents one just day. Just once? Yeah. Ah, how unfortunate. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, I, you know, the money part wasn't great, but growing up where I grew up, other than being dirt poor, I love right. the fact that I got to know all these different cultures, which I didn't even know I was doing, by the way, yeah. going to school with black children and, and Spanish children and Catholics and growing up around Jews. And I didn't know I was learning all these different cultures, but I'm damn glad I did. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, I always uh, I always liked the, uh, the colors of the menorahs and the Christmas lights, you know, partly because, of course, I was always depressed. Yes, and uh, yes. so you know, a little flash uh, mm-hmm. was was kind of nice. And, and growing up in a family of non-believers, none of it meant anything to me spiritually. No, I understand. And maybe that's so, part. Do you think that's yeah. part of it, Mike? The fact that I like them all—is it? It's really a non-spiritual thing. I think so. Just a neighborly thing. Yeah. Hey, you're probably right about that. Now, you mean to tell me that you don't believe the oil burned for seven or eight days or something to that effect? Uh, you know, it uh, it could be a metaphor, but uh, <laughs> but I do believe uh, I, I do believe in in the Bible. I believe fundamentally, you know, every I just believe that every word is true. I believe that uh, that uh, I've read Leviticus, so I know that if you don't believe what I believe, I'm supposed to stone you to death. Yeah, Leviticus right. is a pretty harsh one. Yeah. A lot of smoting. Yeah, there's a Leviticus is where every all those, religion. Um, Every religion does have, you know, an origin story that's a fable. That is true. And the problem isn't that the story's a fable. The story is that there's people who believe it's not a fable. Mm-hmm. That's where you start with the trouble. God, I just... So I, I think I told you this, Mike, but I, was in, I went to Israel for work about a month and a half ago, and we got to tour Jerusalem for five or six hours. And it's it's fascinating, and also it's like, yeah, this is where the trouble started as well. So there's a church built where they think Christ was crucified, which yes. was at the time outside but is now inside the old city. Right. And so the Catholics have this really ornate kind of, it's like a chamber, right? This is where it happened, and there's all these cats. And actually, there weren't that many because they just opened up the country to tourism. But people are in there praying and sobbing. You know, it's really emotional if you do believe. Five yards to the left, the Greek Orthodox have a similar thing set up. No, this is where it happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Five yards. Guys, it's the same area oh, code. Yeah. It doesn't. We're not doing forensic research here. This is yeah. gen. Yeah, and, if you believe, this is generally where it happened. Yep. Plus, this is just another reason why I believe if we could all accept the fact that there are, there are hundreds of religions, they all start with a story that is positively, absolutely false. We accept it as a metaphor, and we move on. Well, that's what we yeah. do in our lives well, I think every day most now. people do at this that's point. Right. It's very rare to meet someone who has a purely literal interpretation of the origin story of any given religion. You've been to Kentucky lately? Speaking of which, we have Joe on the phone. 
Oh, way to go. Way to go, I Doug. I he was Salt Joe. No, he's he's, he's from St. Paul, though. He's not a Southerner. There, well, there you that go. That's true. Joe, what's happening? Oh, nothing much. Just uh, called up to let everybody know that tomorrow night at 11.55 and Sunday night at 11.55 Eastern Time, 40 Years of Metallica is on Amazon Prime. 40 Years? That sounds about right. Years, I love Metallica. Mm-hmm. It's a great band. Oh, so I'm barely younger than Metallica. Mm. No, no question huh? about it. And where, what is it on? It's on Amazon Prime. You said it is. All right, we'll be. And even if you don't have Amazon Prime, it's still free. Oh, really? Well, that's good. I'm glad to. It's got some great. Co- I mean, that I still haven't watched Get Back. I heard Get Back is fantastic. I'm surprised you haven't watched that. <clears throat> I haven't had time. I literally have. It's very time. long. It's isn't it like six hours? Eight hours. It's, eight, it's three that's, different episodes, that's rather and they're long. about two hours long each. Yeah, episode. yeah, two and a half, something like that. Well, we'll be tuning in, Joe. I told him about Get Back several months ago. You mm-hmm. did. Yeah, you Say did. Again? Well, everyone's been telling you to watch it, but. Well, here's what I like. It's just too I difficult. keep telling everybody I work 16 hours a day. When am I going to watch an eight-and-a-half-hour TV show? It's going to be you a know, little you bit. Can Probably talk. when you're not working. Yeah. yeah. Try that. I mean, I'm sleeping when I'm not working. That's the problem We can set right up a there. TV in here. You can watch yeah. between shows. There yeah, that's go. true. I could watch shows while I'm in here. That would be a good idea. Or just watch it on the air. Speaking of music, yeah. did you hear uh, Bruce Springsteen cashed in? Well, it's only a half a billion. God, isn't that amazing? <clears throat> half a billion dollars. A half a billion dollars? Sold his whole music catalog to wow. Sony, I believe, Proves this week. $500,000. Proves once again million. what a great country America really is when a guy who can't sing a note can sell his music for half a billion mm-hmm. dollars. You know, I watched his live Broadway show, and, and it was a little long, and some of it I didn't get into, but he was he was relative, surprisingly humble. And he was talking about, oh, yeah. you know, when the first hit records came out, and he goes, you know, it was kind of funny. Because the guy that wrote this never worked in a factory. The guy that wrote Racing in the Streets, I didn't even know how to drive then. Right. <laughs> so it was, it was kind no, of it's neat. understandable. Yeah, yeah, I like it when people talk like that. But uh, So you got uh, you got Metallica. When's it on again? T- tonight? What would you say? Which night's it? Tomorrow night, 11.55. Tomorrow night. Sunday night, 11.55. Okay, Two so different no- shows. So in other words, I'm going to have, have to uh, watch the replay because... 11.55, I ain't not awake. Well, so wait, is it live then, or what? No. Well, then how is it on at 11.55, two different days? Two different shows. Oh, there's like two parts. No, it's two different shows. Oh, well, all right then. It all works out in the end. That's all I know. That's all I have to say. All right, Pally, we'll be tuning in. we got to take a break here. Joe, uh, I, I assume we're going to talk to you next week before Christmas, I'm assuming. Definitely. You better believe it. All right, Pally, thanks for the call and thanks for the heads up. I love Metallica, so I appreciate the, uh, the heads up on it. We will be back with the family. Take care. You too. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Was there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out 
the all-wheel drive as soon as it's snow. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. <laughs> By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put JLo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best your best interest in mind correct well you want to know what your rights are you know whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not that's a choice it's a free consultation and you want to understand what your all your rights are and what coverages you have and plus the fact i hang out with you so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if i'm hanging out with you uh, maybe <laughs> uh, okay ladies and gentlemen michael bryant bradshaw and bryant Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, Metric Cruiser, or Sport Bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zep. They ship today. Have you ever seen stairs? Well, look at mine. Welcome back to the family. I'm Dave Schrader, your host today. John Tebow, our guest, his new book, How to Change a Law. And he's got a special going on today, free on Kindle today. You can get a copy of that book free on Kindle. How to Change a Law, John Tebow, mm. T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. We'll have a link up for that as well. Thank you for coming on the show today, John. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you asking me at the last minute like this. Well, I guess it all worked, I guess it all worked out. That was very passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah, are you related to my wife? Yeah, are you from <laughs> Minnesota? <laughs> no, I. You know, I, I made a mistake. I actually signed into Safari and it said the uh, it wasn't supported, so I had to switch quickly a moment ago to um, Chrome. So oh. I'm in. Ah, good. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're glad Safari's we got you. Safari's going downhill. Yeah, Safari's weird. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you know, I want to talk about this. Obviously, let's talk about your new book, and then we'll get into some of the weird laws around the uh, the United States. How to Change a Law. Talk to us a little bit about this. And, and uh, you know, I, I've always felt just as Joe Citizen, I really haven't had the power to, to involve myself in doing these things. How easy is it to actually make a change? Yeah, in one sense, after I've talked to a lot of people, I think it's becoming increasingly hard. Um, definitely at the federal level, it's a long, complicated process. At the state level, it's a little easier. At the city level, certainly you can move things forward a bit more. And with your homeowners association, you probably have a little more clout. Hmm. So it takes some time. 
Now, with this, you know, I, you listen to these new laws that are being written in, and, you know, usually the laws that I hear about have something to do with weapons, uh, missing children, uh, you know, abused spouses. Those seem to be the ones that are pushed to the foreground that are talked about so uh, openly in the news and, and things like that. But when it comes to actually getting involved, getting behind these, from the moment you kind of put your sights on helping to change a law or make some much-needed uh, alterations to the time that it actually gets passed. How long are we talking usually in a case like that? Yeah, again, at the federal level, it can be years. And I know of a couple of personal cases where that is going on, and they seem to be pretty uh, critical. But with what Congress is dealing with, you know, they're looking at lots of big issues and international issues and everything else. And so if there's a small group who comes forward with a specific issue, you kind of get pushed down to the bottom. So that, that's the disappointing part of all of this. And what, quickly, I wanted to just mention that what got me into this was um, years ago, I worked in government affairs. And so I saw the other side of how laws do get passed and how companies, corporations and trade associations actually make things happen. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if the average person understood how that all worked? Um, and it was less opaque. So that's what prompted me to write the book and sort of reveal this information about how people can actually be empowered to make change. Now, how easy of a, a job was that? Because when you've got something that's so muddied uh, in legal jargon and, and politics, to then think, well, I, you know, we got to make this more understandable. The, the concept is nice. How hard is it in the actual realization of taking something so convoluted and boiling it down to something that we, the people, can understand? Yeah, I think, you know, you need to have the discipline to do it, obviously. And, you know, it isn't like, as though you just say, hey, <laughs> I'm going to change the law. It's going to be an easy thing. Some of them are. The simpler they are, the more focused they are, and the bigger or wider support you have, the chances of making that happen um, really will help you along. And I think one of the things that people do is they're not clear on the, what their issue is and it's all muddied or they don't know how to talk to the politicians or they're speaking to the wrong person anyway. Um, so they get lost in the process. And that's why, uh, you know, corporations and, again, trade associations use professional lobbyists for this. So they've got the money, the time, yeah. and the wherewithal to put behind it to, to get recognized. Uh, right. I mean, we, we hear a lot about lobbyists and what power is really wielded and, and that, you know, the little little person is very rarely heard from. Do you feel that that's still a major effect uh, in government across the board or has that lightened up considerably? Are we seeing a swing where, you know, the, the individual is starting to have more of a voice? Yeah, I think individuals have a voice. They know what they want. We keep hearing that the uh, you know, the silent American who doesn't say anything really has a uh, attack on what they want to get done. But then again, they get stuck in the process. And when I when I mention that, it's in one sense, it's very complicated. So when I worked in government affairs, this was at Universal Studios years ago. Um, we worked with attorneys, lobbyists, the executives, the entire entertainment industry. And you bring all these people together to make something happen. The difference is when an individual now, what we're told is, just go write a letter to your congressperson, and I'm sure that'll change. And it's frustrating because they get 10,000 pieces of email or mail a month. And with a staff of three or four, they just don't have the time to address individual issues. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've 
I'm like I said, watching things as they pop up and, and how these things are coming through. Do you need um, a, a large groundswell of support from constituents and, and from you know the public to get these possible alterations and changes, or can it just be done by you having the voice and, and the wherewithal to, to kind of lay out the law or the changes and why they should be put in? Yeah, my, my initial view of this was that people would come together around specific issues, be able to find one another, and then be able to move forward and address it. And sometimes very small coalitions can actually make change, and that has happened. Um, if I go back quite a ways now, Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a great example where a singular woman who had a passionate issue because her uh, child was killed by a drunk motorist in the 80s, she got together and was persistent and wouldn't give up. And finally, you know, it moved up to the federal level and then the state level and it became very complicated. But she was doing this pre-internet and was actually able to change the laws regarding um, the blood alcohol content. And then obviously all the states adopted that and we have that today. But that was a long, hard push for her to get there. The book, again, How to Change a Law, our guest helped to boil this down to make it understandable, give you the chance to review how this is done, why it's done, what can you do to be an integral part of this. Uh, he has a, uh, a link up. It's free on Kindle today. So if you go, take care of it today and pick it up, you'll get a free copy on Kindle. Um, you know, you said you worked in government affairs for Universal Studios. What does that mean, John? Yeah. Again, this is something that most people don't know. We think of companies, well, they have a PR department, a marketing department, engineering. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, all the Fortune 500 companies have government relations or government affairs offices. And so these are individuals who come out of political science or whatever background. And again, they work with the which is what we did, too. We work with the politicians um, at every level of government and basically advocated for the things that we wanted to get done. In the case of the entertainment industry, it was issues regarding piracy of films and videotapes at the time uh, and, you know, trade with China, all kinds of things. And so there are multiple issues that you're always moving forward with. And then you're finding the right politician who's sitting on the right committee to be able to move that forward. And again, a lot of this is kind of colloquial. In other words, you don't have to actually draft the law. You're just expressing your interest in how you want to get something done and then ultimately when the politician comes in they will assist in drafting the language to make that work and i have an example of that that, which is current that i can mention to you too please go ahead yeah there's a um really persistent 86 year old gentleman in san jose california and uh he was incensed that he discovered what basically he thought it was a cover-up by the government um and apparently like we had with the Japanese who were interned during the Second World War, a similar thing happened to the Italian community. And so there was a curfew. They couldn't have radios. The boats were seized. There were so many restrictions on what they could do, and they were American citizens. So it wasn't until 2010 that that came out that this had been going on. And he appealed to, at the time, Senator Joe Simidian in California, and said, hey, look, we want an apology. This is terrible what you did, etc." And the state of California apologized, formally apologized to him. And he said, you know, I wonder if we can do this at the federal level. So he's pursued this now for years. And he went forward and he got uh, Congresswoman Zoe Lofkin from San Jose. And she sponsored two bills, which were in the past Congress 
and then they re-upped them, and they're in the current Congress as well. One of them has to do with the education of the abuse that the Italian-American community suffered back then, and the other is a, uh, so they get an apology. And the second part of it, <clears throat> the other bill, was to um, get a certain amount of money, not that much, I think three or four million dollars. And uh, the, the good thing is he's unbelievably persistent, um, actually got the bills into Congress, uh, had only written up, you know, two or three hundred words that he presented to her and her staff. And um, they're moving forward with that. So it's currently in committee in two different committees, the judiciary and uh, I believe health and education. Big changes. I mean, getting something done like that, you know, these after the fact, those seem like no brainers. Let's just do the right thing. Issue an apology. You know, three million dollars is nothing right in yeah. in in today's yeah. market so putting that out there just to placate and and do this why does it seem to be that it, it takes so long to get these things done when you know understanding where we've been what we've done as a society and a government built on the backs of of indigenous people and slave labor and yeah. we, we want to make the world right we're going to take down statues but we're not going to just you know make the apologies you know, make some reparations. What do you think is, is the holdoff in all of that? I think it's a, it's a matter of attention. Um, and again, if you come <clears throat> and look at the number of bills that, and again, I'll use the federal level because it's more transparent. There's more data available. Federal level, every session of Congress has around 10,000 bills and they only pass around 3%. So they pass maybe three, 350 bills um, of the 10,000. So if you think of that, each committee and each member of Congress is looking at dozens and dozens of different issues all the time. And they're being cajoled by their colleagues and other members to say, hey, join me, be a co-sponsor of this bill, help me get something done. Um, one of the things I think you know, most people don't realize is if you are lucky enough to get to the point where you have a meeting with a member of Congress, that meeting is maybe 10 or 15 minutes and they want you to be in there succinct deliver your message, you know, why is it important, who are you trying to affect, what are you trying to get done, how far along are you, and what's your ask, what do you want, you know, do you want me to vote for the bill, do you want me to, what do you want to get done here, um, and often people don't realize that, and again, if I go back to the professional government affairs person or the lobbyist, I've been in those kinds of meetings where you end up presenting and it really is a very tight focused thing. And they're doing 20 or 30 of these meetings a day. So by the end of the day, they might not even remember who you were. Jeez. It really feels like you're just running uphill, carrying a boulder on your back to try to get these things done. We live in a big old ant pile. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the reasons that I've, you know, again, we talk about simplifying this. Mm -hmm. I'm taking something that's really complicated and people don't know about and saying, can we make it more available to people? And if, if they were aware of it, would they do something? And there's two things I've discovered. One is that people are very passionate about it. They want to get something done. They have specific issues that they think are really important, which is, you know, very typical. And we all do. Um, but when it comes to taking action, they, you know, may sit back and be kind of a, an armchair activist, like, mm -hmm. well, somebody, somebody else will do it. Let him do it. Let her do it. You know? Um, cause it takes, I mean, again, we're, we're busy people. We've got jobs, kids, family, other obligations. So it's hard to take that on full time. And 
in a sense, unless you start pulling a lot of people together around a singular issue, um, it's hard to move it forward. And that's part of the focus of what I talk about. Well, obviously, you know, part of the, the fun of, of talking to you as well was talking about the strange laws that are still on the books. And when you look at some of these laws, it makes me scratch my head as to how the hell did this become a law? How did this, somebody sat down and came up in Gainesville, Georgia with the idea that eating fried chicken with a fork is illegal. And it got through and it got passed. How is that possible, John? <laughs> a lot, you know, a lot of these old laws, and they're all over the place and they're very weird, is um, they happened during a time unrelated to what we're doing now. So right. this wasn't passed last year. This was probably passed 50 or 100 years ago. Right. Um, there's one that I think of. Uh, I'm in California. So we lived in L.A. years ago, and I ran across this one that said, if men go to the beach, this is not the exact wording, but if men go to the beach and you wear a bathing suit that doesn't go below your knees, you can be ticketed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that happens every day, right? All right, these people sure. are the just wearing regular clothes. But that happened back in the 20s. And again, it's an interesting thing that these laws get codified. They sit there and nobody looks at them again. But if some somebody, some officer, this could be a game show or something, but if some officer went and said, you know what, I'm going to find these people and I'm going to be really diligent. And he looks around for all the people eating fried chicken with their hands or... <laughs> They're forbidding or with a fork, right? Putting their, yeah, putting their clothesline, uh, clothes on a clothesline, you know, they they could say, hey, I'm sorry, that law is still on the books, and I'm going to enforce it. I did, uh, we were in Vegas a few years back, and we went out to dinner, and I love ribs. And I ordered ribs at this restaurant, and a uh, nice fancy place, they bring out the ribs, are just slathered in sauce. So I grab a fork and a knife, and I start, you know, parceling the meat away from the bone, and uh, the, the waiter walks up to me and he goes, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? And he goes, uh, you're using a fork and knife on the ribs. And I'm like, yeah, they're really saucy. I don't want to get all over my hands and shirt. I'm just, you know, trying to keep clean because we're going to go back out. We've got a, a show. And a few minutes later, the chef comes up. <laughs> and he's, like, offended. Uh, why are you using a fork and knife on my ribs? I'm like, uh, these are just, they're very they're very tasty. They're just very <laughs> sloppy. And I'm, as you see, I'm dressed up to go out to dinner tonight and go out to a show. And I didn't want to, you know, take the chance of dropping the bone or anything. And the two of them just stared at me like, <laughs> like I was speaking Swahili and, yeah. and threatening their children. And they shook their heads and walked away in disgust. And I was like, this is why laws like this can't be on the book anymore, John, because I don't need to go to jail in Vegas for eating my ribs with a knife and a fork. Right, right, right. They could they could have called the local police. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> how obscene. Well, how hard is it to get laws off the books? If you've got laws like this, in Mississippi, public swearing will get you 30 days in the slammer. Obviously yeah. an outdated, uh, you know, concept now. But why are they still there? And can they truly be enforced? I think they can. You know, I mean, this is hysterical when you think that we have so many laws that are not being enforced. Right. right? At the executive level. Um, So you think, well, who would who would do that? But if you have some gung ho person who goes and tracks these weird laws, they could come back and say, hey, here's a ticket or you're fined or you're going to spend a night in jail. I think it would be a great project for college students to just 
tackle some of these and go back and pick their community, you know, because often we say, um, I think it was Tip O'Neill who said that uh, all politics is local, that you go back to your community and you look at some of the ones that are important enough to get off the books and play with it because it's kind of fun and it would also get media attention. Um, it, 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 the other thing I wanted to mention about that is that most of these are negative, right? right. They are thou shalt not kind right. of lot. Right? right. You may not wear long pants on the beach, you know, or a short, short pants on the beach. You have to wear long pants. You cannot use a fork to eat your ribs, etc. So right. they're all negative, you know, but that's that's how laws are. So they're, you know, that reminds me weird, there was an old father a, Guido Sarducci bit where he was talking about Moses. And he's like, you know, there were a lot more uh, a lot more than the Ten Commandments. And, you know, Moses comes down with the mount, from the mountaintop with the commandments in his hands, and he walks down, and they're praying to golden calves, and he gets so frustrated, he throws the tablets, and they break. And the only ones that he could remember were the don't do this, or don't do that, right? And he's he's going through the thing. He goes, but there's other, uh, you know, commandments, like a, a whistle while you work. Disney stole that from him. <laughs> I love the fact that even in the, the comedy world, you can realize the, uh, the, the strangeness of... Uh, you know, what's considered a law, what's considered more of like um, a gentle uh, or persuasive push to do something that uh, they considered was was better suited for that area in that era. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it, it is fascinating. And again, when you tackle this, I think it be, again, it can become a little bit overwhelming because there's so many. So I think what happens is people focus on the issues that are most important to them. And if the issues are some that are in the past, then, um, you know, again, if people come together and say, look, let's let's really focus on this and get this one done and have a small win. That's a great step, because once you go through the process one time, then you say, huh, I'm going to take on something a little more challenging, a little bigger. I'm going to work with a larger uh, group of people. And again, the point is to figure out. Well, the three things that I say are to clarify your issue build a coalition, and then appeal to a higher authority, the ABCs of getting stuff done. And I, I've tried to boil it down so it's so simple that you could actually do that. Very cool. How to Change a Law. The book is out and available. We have a link for it free on Kindle today. So make sure you go get a copy of that. John, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. Stay tuned. We've got more to discuss. Plus, we'll talk about some of the dumb laws on the books here in Minnesota when we return to the family. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com. That's shift, the number two, sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. 
And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. Continuum is here, it's new, and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. There are no pills or surgeries. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole, nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation and find out more today. Go to their website, ContinuumWeightWellbeing.com, or call or text them at 952 952- Four nine one six five two seven. That's Continuum. C O N T I N U U M. Continuum Weight Wellbeing dot com. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing. Life beyond weight loss mode. Welcome back to the family. I'm Dave Schrader. Catherine, you were interested in studying law at one point? Yeah, I, I did a little pre-law stint. How, do, how long did that? Not long. No? <laughs> what, what was the big I took, deterrent I took for like, you? I, I don't know. I took some, I took some uh, basic law classes, and they were, like, so boring. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I couldn't. I was like, I can't do this for 8 million years. I just can't do it. Yeah. Anyway, so I just didn't. And I, and I also worked as a as a uh, receptionist at a divorce attorney's office and the way that people behaved right. i just couldn't think yeah. that this is what i wanted to do with my days no it's most, no. a lot of jobs have a darker side like that yeah it's like a lot of people are like oh well you like medicine you like animals you should become a vet and yeah I'm like, well it sounds great on its surface but then you have to you know kill a bunch of people's pets when they get right. sick or old <laughs> right and i don't think i can handle that part of the job right exactly and it's not like you can become a vet and say no i'm a no euthanizing vet yeah but, you know you have to do it yeah you have could to you do imagine it. being a prosecuting attorney for murder crimes, things like, and if you uh, think if you're the prosecuting attorney and you're thinking it. i don't think this guy did it but you have to go yep. put it forth and then to be the defense yeah. and think, oh, God, this guy's guilty as yeah. hell, and I'm going to go try to get him out of this. That's the thing is American law feels more like, you know, I want my side to win rather than right. I want justice to, you know, be Prevail, doled yeah. out. It does feel like that. Mm-hmm. Well, we've had uh, doing true crime shows for 10 years. We've talked about some cases. Uh, Tommy Lynn Sells comes to mind. This guy was heinous, murdered left and right and when he was talking to the author of the of the book about him he actually admitted oh yeah i've been doing this for a long time as a matter of fact there's this broad in in, uh, chicago sitting on death row for the murder of her kid i'm the one that killed him so could you imagine your Uh, child dies you're found guilty wow you're in prison on death row 
And this guy's over gloating about it. She ended up getting the woman exonerated well, and got her off. But he knew other cases. He's like, oh, there's more than that sitting on death row for crimes I've committed. And he was put to death a week after our show. And oh, I'm like, God. why would we not keep this scumbag alive to get other people off of mm-hmm. death row? And they're like, but we're going to get him for the crimes that he did commit. Right, but you're leaving good people. I know, but how trustworthy prison. is he? He, yeah. he told the right story, and it proved to be true with one person. To me, that's worth keeping him around for a little yeah. bit longer. Yeah. I think, you know, we could maybe take the people that are in jail for uh, having two joints in their pocket and let them out now. Yeah. And I, then we could have more room for idiots that want to tell us who, who they really killed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just can't fathom. And, and you're right, Andy. A lot of the laws break down to I just win or lose. It, it's not The prosecutor right wants their side to win. The defense wants their side to win. It doesn't matter. And how many things they'll sidestep to make sure that happens Mm -hmm. even in the face of glaring obvious information they'll just step away from that person then because Catherine was there she saw who really killed professor plum in the library with the candlestick but her story doesn't help us so let's not bring her in that's insane to me Mm -hmm. i know it it just does seem to be a game and it also just seems to be a money game Mm -hmm. well yeah of course a lot of it is about how much money you have and what kind of representation Mm -hmm. you get well, I've got, you know, my uh, my poor aunt, she's like a million and eight years old. She was working up until I think it was last year at KFC. Oh. And the ceiling collapsed well, Mom's done that, too. Yeah. I've been a kid. Fell on her. I've been a chicken slinger. And she, at, at like 80-some years old, mm. she was injured. Oh. It's a year and a half later. KFC's still fighting her on this. Yep. Fighting her. Yes. Of course. And the attorneys are working <sighs> to get her the deal. But by the time this thing's all said and done, yeah, she'll probably get her medical expenses covered. And the attorney's going to be filthy rich, and my my eighty some year old aunt probably will see five grand. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's weird. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I know that's not all injury attorneys. Uh, you know, obviously out there, but I just watch how a lot of these things play out. And I I, I understand it can be. It's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I mean, you've got it. You have to have a good attorney, mm-hmm. and you, you've got to pay them. Yeah. And these insurance companies and big corporations, they don't, you know, all they want is to pay the minimum amount out. That's right. all they care about. And they've got all the time in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. It's, it's, it's just, um, it's odd to me that we haven't had any big changes. They talk about tort reform and nothing ever gets done. For nothing years. ever gets done. Nothing ever gets because done. it doesn't it doesn't work in the favor of enough people or they can't pin which I always find weird right these bills get passed and one bill's about uh, the use of hand sanitizer in schools now but somewhere in there is about uh, you can't bring your duck to work there's another and it's like how the hell do those two things even go together they call that pork barrel uh, mm-hmm. yeah. laws yeah and that's basically you can attach a rider to anything. You can, you know, someone's making a bill that makes sense. It's like, you know, about the speed limit in residential zones or whatever. And you can just staple whatever the hell you want to yeah. it. People Sundays, nobody can wear that. polka dots. Exactly. So they just, they, they're they like, oh, yeah, residential speed limits. That makes sense. Well, Let's pass it. And then all the other, the pork passes too because people don't even read that part. They don't know what's there. Well, the pork is there because that's what politicians do. Well, of course. They try to get a, a, just a little bit more money for mm-hmm. my guy, and then I look like the shining, you know, yep. 
politician, and then I'll get reelected, and then I can stay in office for 50 years. Attaching an unpopular <laughs> pet issue to a popular real issue is a huge problem in, in American law. Well, and they don't even read it. No, I mean, uh, most the of these don't people even don't even read it. Look, uh, Nancy Pelosi, what was the big bill that she said, don't sign it? Oh, Obamacare. <clears throat> yeah. Which was really great for some people mm-hmm. and really devastated a whole ton of people. I mean, it was like you they didn't even, she said, don't even read it. Just sign it. Yeah. And don't so they it. did. And it's like, this is what we do yeah. in politics. And it doesn't surprise me that, you know, there's all kinds of goofy things about not being able to eat chicken with a fork. <laughs> mm-hmm. MinnesotaFunFacts.com <laughs> has put together a list of dumb laws and strange laws still on the books. Uh, a person may not cross state lines with a duck atop his head. So, Andy, I'm sorry, your weekend plans are over. Well, no crossing no. state lines with ducks on your forehead. Uh, were they just any like... state lines or just specific <laughs> state lines? A cute thought, but there uh, just aren't any Minnesota state laws that restrict anything like this. Go ahead and wear a duck on your head as often as you'd like, it says. State laws limiting nursing homes and senior centers to two days of bingo a week. There's no third day oh, of bingo. Oh, God, you can't give those people three days. No. <laughs> there is don't stand in a roadway if you're looking for business or a ride. Well, that makes sense. Oh, so hitchhiking. Right. Mm. Which, I mean, people do get hit by cars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The land of 10,000 lakes declares mosquitoes are a public nuisance. Glad that we had to put that in the law books. Wow. I think we just all knew that. But somebody, right? Somebody, (laughs) somebody got a lot of lobby money behind them to do that. But you know what? You pass that. Then, once that's on the books, well, now we can get governmental contracts for the mosquito repellent DDT, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is illegal to stand around any building without a good reason to be there. We call that loitering. I think they've removed those. Yeah, that that (laughs) original law was repealed in 2005. The new law for loitering states a person found in or loitering near any structure, vehicle, or private grounds who is there without the consent of the owner and is unable to account for his presence. Well, that's definitely something that has been ignored 100%. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I remember the time, like, we couldn't hang out at the mall growing up. We would go mall walk for cruising chicks when we were teenage boys, right? But the laws were... Cruising chicks. chicks. It was 1983 <laughs> through 86, okay? We talked Catherine, differently. We were, wow. cruising, we were cruising, cruising for chicks. chicks. And uh, <laughs> the malls had set into place that you, if you were in the mall, you had to have a minimum of $10 with you. Well, so yeah. that you weren't just there walking yeah. around cruising chicks. So uh-huh. well, and now that's you know, yeah. some some of the malls are where they are getting kids and abducting oh, them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah. Citizens, maybe maybe that's a good law. Citizens may not enter Wisconsin with a chicken on top of their heads. Oh, there goes my okay. Winter so somebody wardrobe. was drunk. This was a drunk yeah. assembly <laughs> or a convention, and they're like, "Let's see what kind of yeah. stuff we can get past." <laughs> All bathtubs must have feet. Oh, well, that is we're definitely illegal. not being no. observed. <laughs> what a weird one. Who is the anal retentive guy that's like, I'm not settling for any bathtubs that sit on the floor. I need this sounds rough. crazy. <laughs> they need feet, damn it. <laughs> that's just so bizarre. And you're right. Who's high enough to think, you know what I can't stand? Watching people from Minnesota walk into Wisconsin with a goddamn chicken on their head. <laughs> I know. Who does that's, that? That's got to stop. Andy, we need to work together on this bill. You know, it's pro- it probably reform. was like a high school thing that they irritated some other high school and mm-hmm. a fight broke out. So they decided to make a law. You know, mm-hmm. It's probably something that stupid. It would make more sense if it, like, Wisconsin into Minnesota not to be able to wear cheese on your head. Because that, you know. <laughs> it really is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? 
I just want to like, why? Why you got a big chunk of cheese on your head? Go away. You're a uh, Packer fan. Let's see. Uh, a Blue Earth, Minnesota law declares that no child under the age of 12 may talk over the telephone unless monitored by a parent. Ooh, I like that one. How do let's we sign that, that one out. across the country? Can we also have one where the kids don't start screeching the minute you get on the phone? Oh, gosh. That would be a good one. It's against the law. You're breaking right. the law. Funny. You're going to go to jail. <laughs> a woman is not allowed to cut her own hair without her husband's permission. Oh, I really I don't do like it. that one. I do it all the time. Yeah. Without I think we should look at that lobby and put back in. Wow. I haven't cut my hair in a while, actually. I need one. I need a haircut. That's why every guy I know, the one thing they're like, you know what? I married her. I loved her long hair. Within a month, she cut it short. Every guy I know is complaining to me about that. They're like, I don't know. Why is it the minute they get married, they cut their hair to shoulder length? It is true, I like isn't long it? hair. It's crazy. Because they don't want to deal with it. I know. It's a pain to deal with it. That's why I cut oh, my so hair. So you lure us in with your long, flowing locks. and then... I still have long, flowing locks for you, honey. <laughs> Thank you, baby. I appreciate it. I uh, just read, uh, what's the one with the, Rapunzel. Yes. Uh-huh. To the kids yesterday. The Stabbington Brothers is all, it's, it, does anybody remember any of this? No. Stabbington Brothers? Yeah, and that she was actually a princess that was stolen. Was right. that all true? Okay. Right, and then I there were I multiple don't... people that tried to get up oh, there. the Stabbington Brothers were in uh, Tangled. Which oh, is the, okay, yeah. so this They're was not made... from Rapunzel, they're from Tangled. Oh, okay, so this was like a Disney Disney's Rapunzel. Version. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, right. that does not sound like something that would have been written in you and know, I didn't know 18th that her century hair, Germany. Her hair... Her, her hair um, but it glowed. Yeah, that's all from Tangled. That's all Tangled. Yes. Ah, you read okay. the Tangled book. All right. Yeah. I was like, I don't know this, this story at all. <laughs> you need the more wholesome, pure version where she was raped repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. What? Yeah, those are all the original stories, like Sleeping Beauty. The guardsmen used to take turns on her while she was uh, in her coma state. <laughs> what? Yes. Real, I kid you yeah. not. Yeah, they're very dark. Yeah, they're gri- They're called the Grimm Grim? Brothers uh, oh, for, so for a reason. Grim. Yeah, they're oh, very. All those old stories dark. were like, and then the dashing prince raped the princess, and then he got bit and has puked out all his organs and died. There. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you writing this? They're okay. all horrible like that. That's yeah. why Disney had to alter it yeah. just a bit for kids. In the Little Mermaid, uh, I'm Ariel. The Disney will, I mean, much better. I, now. I don't think she actually sold her voice to Ursula, but there was. It's. A, based on a similar story but yeah at the end of the little mermaid uh she gets cursed and she dissolves into sea foam <laughs> sea foam yep. Wow. Mm. yep there were no good endings back then no right. well, i guess i like the disney version yeah, a disney, little yeah. better. Well, i mean if you think about it back in you know 17th 18th whatever century europe a lot of no, it was horrible the people were very like very against any sort of sorcery or witchcraft and all of these Disney movies involve some sort of magic, which yeah. back then magic was considered evil. So the moral of the story was dabble in magic and you're going to get, you know. Turned into sea foam. Yeah, exactly. You're going <laughs> to dissolve and die. It's not good. But now it's like, oh, magic is good. Magic is fun. Mm-hmm. So let's change these stories a little bit. Wow, I didn't We've know whitewashed that. magic for far too long, Andy. It's time to clean it up and bring it back to its majesty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or its reverse majesty. All men driving motorcycles must wear shirts. Yeah, I, you Good. know, I thank you for that one. Yeah. Yes. I per, I, I and I'm that. all for longer bathing suits at the beach, too. <laughs> that too, yeah. 
Why, come on, Catherine. We're going to go down and have a heebie-jeebie time at the and beach. And a lot of them could wear a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, some should just stay home all yeah, together. Just yeah. why, are, why are you at the beach with That's this right. body? <laughs> Why'd you stare at me when you said that? That's hurtful. A law that makes it legal for a farmer to sleep with his pigs, cows, horses, goats, and chickens. Mm-hmm. It would be Define far more sleep. likely to have a law that prohibits this. <laughs> yeah, you would there is no state law in Minnesota that even mentions the word farmer or farmers and sleep. I think they mean it, you know, sexually. Well, yeah, I mean, oh. they probably didn't call it sleep with back when that was passed, if it was passed. Yeah. Well, they probably did because they were using the, uh, that was the more familiar, uh, less sleazy sound, right? Well, I assume. sleeping together. A, a law like this, I would have, that I would have assumed would have been passed like 200 years ago. And they don't, I don't think that slang existed back then. They probably had some, you know, medieval word for it. Every man in Brainerd, Minnesota is required by law to grow a beard. Hmm. Oh, in honor of. And a pair of, of choppers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is that in honor of. Uh, I don't know. Oh, what's his name? Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. Could be. Oh, it could be. I was yeah. going to say Babe the Blue Ox. I'm like, no, he ain't even. No, well, he probably had hair on his chinny chin chin. <laughs> being an ox and all. Now, Catherine, I need you to make sure that you adhere to this next law. Okay. No person shall throw an abandoned hoop skirt into any street or sidewalk under penalty of a $5 fine for each offense. Ooh. $5. Along those hoop skirts, girls. <laughs> Just, like how to keep those hoop scots, hoop skirts forever. <laughs> what do you? Th- is it literally like girls are just walking down the road like, oh, finally, I'm done, and they're like yanking them off and just finally them. fashions have changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know there are some clothing that is very uncomfortable. So when you get home and you strip it off, it's so relieving. Uh, that is true. Hoop I, skirts, I can't even imagine. And then you have like the petticoat on that, and it's probably mm-hmm. hot. I don't and even itchy. understand how they didn't just pass out. All the time. <laughs> he had a girl. I think they did. That's why they called it a fainting couch. I, yeah, you what had I don't understand. Just... The Wild West, they would wear 15 layers and yep. leather jackets, mm-hmm. hats. It's 9 million degrees under the sun. I don't know. How is that helpful? I don't know. And they did not bathe every day either. Yeah. They I would understand bathe that. Like Pretty once rank. a week, if that. <laughs> and they would have That's to share yeah. bath water. So. Oh, God. <laughs> I would go visit my aunt that we mentioned earlier. Uh, they're very good polish people in downtown chicago that's where they live for a big portion of their lives and i would go stay there for a week every summer to hang out with my cousins Mm -hmm. i would avoid the bath like the plague Mm -hmm. because i was the youngest oh so my my cousin barbara got to bathe first then my cousin joe then my cousin Kenneth, Gross. and then they wanted me to bathe. I'm like, okay, how much out. does water actually cost uh, <laughs> to fill right. up a tub? Uh, well, this was Polish people in downtown Chicago. You know, through this, they were very, uh, yeah, money cheap, tight. Fruit. Yeah, I think it's the right word. Food. I was looking for. I couldn't. <laughs> cheap fits though. Uh, so I literally. Somebody broke open a, a fire hydrant every day in that area. Oh, good. So I would literally go uh, out and yeah. wash up. In the, I would, there was like no, and it, the water was just disgusting. Because no. yeah. we're running around playing in a park, so then yeah. we had to take baths. I'm, no, I'm going to yes. go out and hit the fire hydrant, Auntie <laughs> yeah. Elaine. I don't blame you. That's yeah. really gross. Mm-hmm. All right, it's illegal to paint a sparrow with the intent of selling it as a parakeet. 
<laughs> so that was someone did that. Somebody, somebody got must so have bitter. been running a big old scam. Yeah. <laughs> the old sparrow for a parakeet trick. Uh, okay, so if you looked at the sparrow that was painted, would you say this looks just like a parakeet? Would you Would you think that that's painted? Maybe maybe it was one of those kind of things where the underclass people didn't really know yeah, what a probably. what a parakeet looked like, but they mm-hmm. wanted to have one for but some form of dumb. <laughs> I don't, have you met one. people? Well, <laughs> people are kind of dumb. I mean, this could point. be before, you know, color illustrations in books. Yes. Oh. All they had to go on was some pencil drawing on an old piece of paper. <laughs> There's just... a book out that we just got for our son, Jack. He loves birding, and it's like the <laughs> North American Idiot Book Hand Guide. Mm-hmm. And in one of it, he's like, he mentions this bird, and it's every name is just filthy, right? But he, he names this bird, and he's taking real birds, but then just turning the name around, and he goes, this little fucker wouldn't stand still, so you'll have to deal with me just taking, or of drawing him, because he couldn't get a photograph of it, so he's sketching him out, and just goofy, funny stuff. Um it shall be the duty of any policeman or any other officer to enforce the provisions of this section. And if any cat is found running at large or which is found in the street, alley, or public place, it shall be the duty of any policeman or other officer to kill such a cat. That's from Hibbing. Was that before uh, shelters, maybe? <laughs> you say it, you're, oh, hibbing. Oh, hibbing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. we get it. Yeah, hibbing. Yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of environmentalists <clears throat> think that now because birds kill, or cats kill a lot of birds. Let's put a bell so on their neck. A lot of people are like, they think that cats like either keep it inside or it's considered a pest. In Duluth, it's illegal to allow animals to sleep in a bakery. I would imagine so. <laughs> Well, now they can't even go in a bakery. So. Yeah. What about a hairless dog? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. It is also illegal to tease skunks. I, oh, yeah. 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 don't want to hurt their well, it's feelings. It's just stupid to tease skunks is what it is. How about this? <laughs> red cars cannot drive down Lake Street in Minneapolis. Red no cars? No red cars. Um... <laughs> no person may be charged with or convicted of the offense of drunkenness or pum- public drunkenness. Is this hipping? This one is actually true. As of 2010, Minnesota statute uh, 340A.902, titled Drunkenness Not a Crime, states that no person may be charged with or convicted of the offense of drunkenness or public drunkenness. So you could be a drunk driver. Drunkenness is is legal now. Yeah, so you could be drunk and not get arrested. Where was this? Uh, Is this a Minnesota law? It's Minnesota statute, yeah. It's actually true as of 2010. That's what this says. So has anybody gotten off of a DUI by stating <laughs> Call this? Dave Schrader, defense attorney of law. Now that I know that one law here, that's all I'm going to specialize in. Hamburgers may not be eaten on Sundays. That's in St. Cloud. There is a 10-cent bounty for each rat's head brought into a town office. Well, That one I can see. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I remember back when we were living on the farm in Dayton, mm-hmm. we had these horrible little beasts called pocket gophers. Yes, we mm-hmm. did. And they they would just they would just destroy a pasture in no time, and I remember trying to find somebody to help me get rid of these monsters, <laughs> and there was still I, there may still be if you chop off their little feet and bring them somewhere mm-hmm. somebody gives you a bounty. 
Wow. Are we sure? Because this sounds a lot like the uh, the Tootsie Roll Pop wrapper that if you find the one with the little Indian boy shooting mm-hmm. at a star, you get a free lollipop. That's I what it sounds like to me. Lollipop. I don't know. Look up Bounty for Pocket Cover Well, feet. that actually reminds me of something. <laughs> something I never thought I'd look up. When law enforcement yeah. comes to my house to look through my deal. Bounty for Pocket Cover Feet. What the hell is this straighter guy into? Well, something actually very similar happened. I think it was in India. I'm going to get some of the specific details wrong i'm sure but so basically this area in india was having a big problem with snakes so they said anyone who brings in a dead snake gets however many denarii or whatever the hell mm-hmm. they use um so people started bringing in these dead snakes and getting paid and what happened was people started breeding snakes so they could kill them bring them in and get paid for them <laughs> So and so the local government artist. said, oh, well, if you're going to do that, then we're just going to get rid of the bounty. So all these snake breeders just released the snakes into the wild, and they were left with more snakes than they began with. Oh. It's the circle of yeah. life. <laughs> wow. It's the circle of law. What the hell? So you have, to, you have to be very careful about bounties for pests like that, because people can just breed pests and then bring really them in. I don't really think you could keep a pocket gopher in your house. <laughs> I don't think that would Sounds work. Sounds cute, though. Sounds like a challenge no, to my children. No, they're terrible beasts. They love to eat <laughs> wires, roots, anything they and can they're, chew. They're they'll bit, chew. I actually trapped one once. Oh, no. It was gigantic. <laughs> and I was trying to beat it to death with a shovel. And oh, I'm, that's law number seven. No beating a pocket <laughs> I'm whacking the thing over the head and I'm going, oh, my God! Whack! Oh, this is so gross! Whack! Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whack! Oh. It was the worst experience of my life. That's so gross. Uh, Who do we have? Richard Carpenter tomorrow? Um, yes, we sure do. Yeah, Richard Carpenter's on the show tomorrow. Tom will be back next week on the podcast. He's back to work on the morning show, so make sure you check that out. Thank you guys for allowing me to sit in again with you today. Well, thank you for showing up and doing Mm -hmm. the show. You got it. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you on Monday with the family. 